Hi guys, welcome to the podcast. My name is Barry Wilkinson, Director of Statewide Wealth Group. Today we're going to talk about the small business tips and we're fortunate enough to have Phil DeBella. Phil is a wonderful business owner and has uh, been in business for some time with DeBella Coffee. Phil has a podcast himself called Flashcast by PDB. Uh, He's been a friend of mine for over 25 years and given me some wonderful tips, so we're fortunate enough to have him here today. So if you're a small business owner and you want some tips to get through the current environment that we're in at the moment, I would highly recommend that you listen in. So let's get into it. Given the trying times that we've got at the moment with the COVID-19, many businesses will be uh, feeling the pinch. Can I just get some top tips from you with uh, what small businesses should be doing at the moment? Yeah, well, Barry, the first thing is people need to have a few pieces of paper and a pen with them. Pen and paper doesn't lie. Our brains have about 60,000 conversations with ourselves every day. And at the moment, with most people being in overload, they're probably having 100,000 conversations a day. So uh, tip number one is get out of your head and um, put things on pen and paper. And, um, and then what you do with that pen and paper is the following. Make a clear list of what their responsibilities are. So what what are your responsibilities when it comes to personal, professional and family? And I would have a piece of paper for each one of those um, under responsibilities. So what are my family obligations? Because everyone's a different. Some um, some will have children, some won't. Some will be single parents, some won't. Some people will have pets or, or loved ones. Some people under personal will have different um, needs. So you need to make sure you write down your um, responsibilities in all of those three areas. And then on a separate piece of paper, uh, you need to label what resources you have and the resources you have when it comes to personal, professional, and family. And then what you've got to try and do is marry them up. Hopefully, you've got enough resources to, that cover your responsibilities. And if you don't, then you d- you provide an action list. Um, and at the end of it, that's what you're coming out you want. You want an action list of what you need to do. You need to then uh, build that that resource that you need. And I think that pen and paper is the most important part right now. If you're a, um, Also, if you're a business owner, Phil, and you've got staff, how would you best give advice at the moment to the business owners how to communicate with their staff at the moment in this trying time? Yeah, look, the um, the key is to communicate. And I always say that the common denominator of failure is people don't communicate. They, they close up in their shells. You need to make sure that you are communicating and be honest. Authenticity is what's going to get us through this. Care and um, community is what um, is going to get through it. Is you need to sit down once you've done your responsibilities and your resources, uh, because that'll be covered off, obviously, as a under business. When you've been able to list what your responsibilities and your resources are, then you'll be able to tackle the issue of staff. And uh, you know, and it'll be different for different people. Some people will need more staff right now. Some people are going to have no jobs. Some people will be stood down without pay, but still have a job when things come good. Right now, it's all about doing what we need to do. And if you you need an income, then go pack those shelves. No job is too big or too small or too belittling for anybody right now. Um, and if you need help, you reach out to those that um, can help you. In this trying time, you'd, you'd say as well, it'll bring people closer together within their own business at the same time? 100%. I'm calling this a correction virus. I mean, I always see the positive um, side of things. I call it a correction virus. It's it's never a good time. It's a clean out we did need to have. Unfortunately, we, we didn't want it to happen in a month or two months or three months. It probably needed a three-year spread to correct things a bit because we had, you know, so many years of fast growth and, and expectations and even young people where they, you know, wouldn't take certain jobs and they were working only nine till five or now you'll be lucky to have a job. You know, I don't mean that in a cruel way, but there does need to be a correction. And what we are seeing already is that people are, are looking for work. They are being more helpful. Uh, people are looking up. I find when you're out walking on the street, you know, going for a walk in the morning, people are looking up and, and nodding and saying hello. Mm. I think this will bring back a lot more community spirit. Couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more, mate. The question I have got as well is that 
it, within your time when things are busy and when time is quiet, how much time would you suggest that someone should really be looking at their cash flow? Should they dedicate a day every month, a day every week? Mm. Is it something that you find that people have neglected? Oh, 100%, Barry. I mean, you should be looking at cash flow daily. And I know that uh, from successful business people uh, that I know, especially small business, the smaller you are, daily. And whether it's 10 minutes a day, looking at the money in and money out. A lot of people, unfortunately, look at their P&L and balance sheet. Well, balance sheet is great. P&L depending on how you, um, you, you you account for, you will lie to you. It really comes down to cash flow. And that's why they've always said cash is king. You know, you need to be monitoring the money that's coming in because if money's not coming in, you can't pay people. Um, and then you've got to prioritise your payments and that's going to be so important right now. So my tip has always been cash flow daily. You're always looking at your cash flow and the smaller you are, the more important it is because less room for error do you have. And how would you suggest people to communicate and talk to the suppliers at the moment? Look, I um, uh, we did this yesterday with my team. Um, We've got several businesses and, you know, India's shut down completely. New York is virtually shut down. Uh, and then we've got our property business here and we've obviously got coffee business here in Australia. And we've tackled it the same way. It's a cascading effect. So we've sat down and said, right, we're, obviously we've put all the bank stuff on hold. We've taken advantage. So step one is take advantage of what's on, on offer. Federal government's been actually very quick to act and the banks so far have been quite good. Uh, put those payments on hold where you can. Uh, the next thing is obviously the staff we tackled and we said, right, we've got cash reserves because we have always monitored our our cash situation every day for years and we've got we've always kept money there for a rainy day because in good times you plan for bad and bad you plan for good and so we've got enough money there for the staff and we've communicated that we've got enough money to pay our wages that's not a problem your jobs are secure and the next part is obviously the suppliers. And the suppliers, what we've done is we've said to them, we will pay the smaller ones first. So the ones that obviously your mum and dads and your sole traders, we've um, prioritised to pay them first because they're the ones that are going to get the least amount of help mm. thanks mm. to our state mm. government. So we're paying the small operators first and then the larger ones next. We've um, communicated them and said, we will pay as we get paid. So as we are paid by our um, clients and um, what we've told our clients is if you can't afford 100% of that invoice, pay 20% of the invoice. Pay something. Yeah. To keep that relationship going. 100%. Yeah. But it's also not just about the relationship. If they drip feed us, we can drip feed our suppliers. And that's what we've promised our suppliers. As the money comes in, we will disperse it accordingly. And we've been honest. We're going to disperse it to small business um, and sole traders first because they're the ones getting the least amount of help right now, and um, especially in Queensland. So if you're a small business owner, how would you suggest someone at the moment to avoid sitting on the phones to all the suppliers and if they're open, if their doors are open to try and make some money, would you suggest that they open up another bank account uh, as a survival bank account at the moment um, to avoid sitting on the phone with suppliers, to avoid sitting on the phone with, you know, like the utilities? What, what kind of tips would you give in yeah, the look, bank I account? Think, again, the well, bank account, you could do that. I mean, in, in perfect times, you would always want to have a bank account. Like um, me and my wife have always kept an emergency bank account, which obviously we'll be using because uh, nobody's getting out of this no, positive no. and of what I've been explaining to people if you want to start on a rating of 10 no one's coming out of this on a rating 10 no. or 11 or 12 um, it'll either be a 9 and most people will probably be somewhere around 5 um, everyone's going to nobody is immune and I don't care even supermarkets who are doing a roaring trade um, in air, they'll suffer in other areas there is nobody is going to be immune from what is happening right now there is no profiteering and anyone profiting from what happens right now everybody has to be prepared to take a hit everybody's wealth will take 
take a bit. And this is why I call it the correction virus. Um, we've had too much focus on money and finance and wealth. How about we talk about health as wealth? And fake um, wealth. And yeah, a lot of fake wealth, a lot of paper wealth. How about we talk about real wealth, which is health? Um, and then we talk about family and bonding and, and community. And then we talk about money, which as you know, for many years you've known me, I always say enough money to do what you want when you want. Mm. And I think this is a real good correction for people to look at their financial position and say, have I got enough money to do what I want when I want? And of course, the what I want and when I want is going to change given this, you know, different environmental situations like right now. Right now, people need food and they need shelter. And that's what they need to make sure that they've got enough. And they'll also remember businesses that have been there for them. I know we've mentioned this just before about the suppliers, but people that continue to show up, that loyalty 100%. side of things. But one of the questions I do want to ask is that given obviously what's happening globally, uh, do you think that we'll bring back a lot of work to the country? Do you think that we'll have a lot more working here as opposed to shipping stuff off overseas? Yeah, I think um, if everyone really stays conscious rather than whinging and complaining, and this is where we need a growth mindset more than ever uh, versus a fixed mindset, if we stay really conscious about certain things like buying Australia first, when we can go on holidays, let's get out and support Australia. My wife and I have already spoken about that. And if all of Australians do that and really focus in on Australia for the next 12 to 24 months, then we will rebuild and rebuild quickly. And coming back to your question, we will need resources. There will be more jobs out there than ever. Mm. There'll be more um, opportunities out there more than ever. But the good thing, in and this is why I talk about the correction, we went through a stage over the last 10 years where everyone wanted to own a business, where they thought you had to be, you were great if you owned a business. Yeah, that's right. And, and people forgot that it was actually great to work for somebody. And that's something I always made sure that I did at Debella when I had Debella Coffee. Um, you're actually more important as and part of the team. You didn't have to go out and own your own business. You're part of this team. This business is you. Mm. So that's going to be prevalent more than ever, is that we need a bit more pride about people showing up to work and being proud of working for someone. And being happy. And being and happy content. and knowing that there's extraordinary in being ordinary. And being patient. Um, there was one other thing I wanted to talk to you about was um, people's perception of, you mentioned it just before, about working for themselves, that ha you have to have, be working for yourselves to be worthwhile. And uh, I said to my wife recently, how good is it that you, you, know, you, you have to go to work and you get paid and it goes into your bank account every month? One question I do want to ask is at the moment everyone's feeling the pinch. Small business, regardless whether you're a one-man band or you're multiple – You've been in business for a long time and I've known you for a long time. I knew you before, obviously, we sold the, the brand. The trying times, if you can go back to the trying times and those kind of defining moments for you and what got you through and why did you stick to your guns? Yeah, great question. And um, I'll give you the perfect answer on it. It was the 2011 floods. So the 2011 floods in Brisbane, when everybody had to shut down for three or four days. And what happened was we were the biggest in the country in, in what we do, uh, apples for apples in, in manufacturing coffee and supplying cafes at that time. We were the biggest in the country packing about a thousand orders a week. My team did not miss one delivery Australia wide. And people say, well, what, why is that? Uh, what does that mean? And I said, well, remember all businesses are supposed to be closed. All roads were closed coming in and out of Queensland and we didn't miss a delivery Australia-wide. And the way it was, was when I come back to your point and what sticks out was community, which was we were getting phone calls from strangers saying, how can we help you to fill your orders? And we said, well, right now we're fine because our team, our staff were dedicated. We didn't have any power electricity. 
I turned up to work and I had workers with those mining lamps on their heads, packing orders, writing, because there was no computers, handwriting, you know, labels on the boxes, handwriting invoices. They contacted Qantas. And this is all off their own bat. They contacted Qantas and they did a deal with Qantas to air freight coffee to our distribution centers around the country um, so that they could get around, obviously, the roads being closed. Qantas did us a good deal. Uh, it wasn't cheap, but it didn't matter. The motto was, what do we want out of this? And it was, we don't want to miss an order. And for me, as a business owner, I said, well, I don't want to profit. So what, we're not increasing the price of coffee. We're not, we're not adding extra charges. We will make sure that we get out of this. And our number one objective is default, which is delivered in full on time, not to miss an order. And over that one week period, Australia-wide, we did not miss one order. Every order was delivered in full on time, you know, and it was because of the dedication of the people and everything. The common denominator is always going to be people. And this is a time where we see how good and dedicated, how loyal, and the key word that everyone's lacking, resilience. Mm. This will show everybody the resilience of you personally, professionally, and family. So it will come out, obviously, later on. So the most defining, if I just go back to that question, because I know uh, it, it resonates with me, the defining moment in 2011, what did you learn from it? from a business perspective and how you would uh, change things moving forward? Well, learn, it wasn't really learn. What it showed me was the advantages of looking after your people. It also showed me the advantages you of- You mean people that work for you? People that work for you and people that um, are clients. Mm. So people. So internal people, I always talked about it. It showed me the importance of your internal people and your external people. So it highlighted that that was the advantage that of- for many years of being a people person and looking after my internal people and my clients' people being, as in being so client-focused, those floods times because we didn't lose a customer, even though we had competitors trying to poach them. We didn't lose one customer and our staff delivered everything in full. The next thing it showed was how emotionally engaged people need to be with your brand. And if they are emotionally engaged with your brand, then they stick by you. Right, and when they don't stick by you, it's because they're not engaged. They're using you for a, for an ulterior purpose. Um, that was defining. But the if you want to bottle it up to one word, it simply is resilience. The key is resilience. Something I talk about with my kids every day um, is about you're going to get knocked down, you get back up. You, you, you're going to have bad times because that's going to make you appreciate the good times. You know, it, it really is that resilience, and resilience is about growth mindset. So um, the key ingredient for me is adopting a, a growth mindset and everything else that. Can skates from that the, the probably one of the last questions i have is is um when the times were weren't so good in 2011 in terms of um, not talking about monetary i'm talking about personal and mindset because uh, that's obviously where the resilience is did you talk to people people that weren't really business orientated your mates and did you talk to did, did you find that your ego i'm not saying that you've got one but everyone's got some type of ego well, of some of sort yeah. but do you, did you find that you had to be a little bit more humble in the way that you approach things and it, it adjusts you moving forward? So yeah. the question is basically, did you find that you were doing things and people were there for you when you never thought that they would have been there for you? Yeah, look, um, to me it comes natural to reach out because I'm a talker. So I, I'm one of these people that talk things. I've got a healthy ego, but I'm not shy about talking about things and I'm quite humble and vulnerable. So if things are good, I say they're good. If things aren't going good, I'm happy to tell people they're not going well. But there's a lot of people out there that don't. And the importance is that they need to communicate. As I said, when we started 60,000 plus conversations a day, if you're not getting things off your chest, if you are not um, don't have an avenue to talk to people, then your head's going to explode. 
So the importance is to talk to people, to have a network around you. Now, I'm fortunate enough to be part of the Young Presidents Organisation, YPO Network, um, and there's a group under that called the um, EO Group, the, um, I think, Entrepreneurs Organisation. Um, there's those, there's roundtables. I know the BDO has um, run small business roundtables. There's all different people that run different types of things. The purpose of those is to get people around a table to communicate in a trusted environment how they're feeling, but not just around business, more so around personal, professional. And that's what we do with YPO. So I'm fortunate enough to be part of that group that discusses and gets together monthly and talks about our personal, professional and family and how we're tracking and, and what's good, what's not good, what needs improvement, what are we looking forward to. So we cover everything. And while before COVID-19 happened, Phil, what is the most common denominator that you found that you used to sit back and just shake your head at with business owners? What was the most common denominator? Yeah, complacency. Complacency. People get complacent and then they get ignorant. So they think, you know, that whole, I always talk about what your strength is, your weakness becomes. Um, and our strength as Australians is, oh, she'll be right. We're quite positive. Mm. But she'll be right if you've got a plan. Mm. <laughs> she won't be right if you don't have a plan. Um, and that's what I find. Complacency um, is the number, the, the common denominator um, in, 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 in what you've just asked is people get too complacent. And I've said, and people say, well, how do I not be complacent? In times of good, plan for the bad. When things are bad, you're then able to plan for good. Now, you have a lot of people right now that are acting in the now. People are acting in the now because they've lived in the past. What we should be doing now is we should be looking at the future. Well, well that's a good point. So the, the, the question also is that, so you've got, you know, Mr. and Mrs. Smith out there who are on the, you know, bones of their backsides and, and they don't know where the next dollar is going to come from. What do they need to do today? What, what is your guidance right now? What do they need to do today? Do they want to get back on to, to buying another business or what, what do they plan for? Well, you plan for the worst. So I say you always um, plan your worst case scenario. You've got to plan for the worst case scenario and be comfortable with it. Right now, the number one thing is obviously shelter and food. You know, this is a time to strip everything back and say, what are my responsibilities? What do I need? You know, if you've got young children and it keeps coming back to that, making a list of responsibilities and, and then prioritising those responsibilities. So if you had a business and you shut the doors and you've got nothing to do and knowing that you want to reopen again because it will bounce back mm. and, you know, life will go on, would you be taking the time out right now to go back through your cash flow and go through your, you know, using technology, Myob and, and Zero and everything like that? Would you be going through and highlighting what it is that you identify that you could get rid of moving forward? I'd be doing two things. I'd be uh, half of the time I'd be out there trying to look for a part time job right now, like stacking shelves in a supermarket and driving Uber if you need to. Feeding your family. Uh, yeah. So doing what I need to to put, and this is someone that's on the bones of their backsides, as you put it, um, not someone that's got cash reserves, obviously, because we've got to prioritise the jobs too for those that need it, you know? So you know, I'd be out there if I'm on the bones of my backside. Part one is going out there and getting some sort of work because there is work out there. Mm. You want to be looking for that now, not when there's a million people wanting that's those right. jobs. That's right. So that's part one. The other part is, and I do this all the time, is I'd be collecting all the data of my business. I'd be analysing the data and building the strategy ready to reopen. And that's a key thing I talk about when I'm doing strategic workshops, data analysis strategy. So I'd be splitting my time 50-50, 50%. I'd be looking at what do I need to do to get food on the table? And the other 50% is I'd be getting ready for the re 
open by looking at my data and saying, right, the NRL was on the radio today talking about what this has shown us is that we are running, we have been running too rich. We've we've had too much luxury uh, right now. Uh, we've just realized exactly where that we've, we need to curb our spending. And this is going to be a perfect opportunity for us to scale everything back to curb our spending. That's the type of discussions everyone should be having no matter the size of the business. So you you think customer service would be the paramount of everyone's should always be. Um, people say, oh, you built an amazing business. I said, no, I built a customer-facing business. Mm. Dabella Coffee was a business that helped cafe owners make money. What it did for the consumer is it gave them the ultimate coffee experience. I always built everything from the outside in. No different to any business I own now or to the, the next venture I'm working on right now. It's what problem am I going to solve from the outside in? And again, uh, customer service should be a given. Not, you know, it's, it, people talk about customer service like it's their key strategy. Customer service should be you know, a given in what you do in business. And I actually don't call it customer service. I call it exceeding a customer's expectation. That's when you go next level. But then if someone doesn't have that ethos, how do they implement it into a business or should they not be in business? They shouldn't be in business. Okay. Um, very simple. Totally agree. And I think that's why IT grew, mate. And a lot of people went into IT because they didn't know how to deal with customers. Um, and I don't mean that in a bad way. So, so at the moment you see every a coffee shop on every corner, given that this is your background, mm-hmm. um, a coffee shop is literally on every corner and you can get that cup of coffee and you're paying $4.50 for a cup mm. of coffee. Which is cheap. Would you think of the steps that are involved in it, yeah. So what do you think will happen to a lot of There's those gonna coffee shops? There's going to be a clean There's going to be a correction because for many years it was too easy to open a coffee shop. And I mean, I could do a whole segment on this part and because I, again, look at data analysis strategy. I just don't make flyaway comments. And very simply, there's a lot of coffee shops open because the council laws should have changed years ago. And people go, what's council laws got to do with coffee shops? Let me walk you through it. Very simple. Council laws, when you develop a property, need to have X amount of commercial down the bottom and X amount of residential. And they haven't changed to date. And I know the current Lord Mayor is going to work on it post-election, and I'm part of the team that's helping him with it. But had they changed five years ago, we would be five years ahead. But let's go back to that, that scenario very quickly. You have to develop a property, you have to put X amount of commercial down the bottom. The demand for commercial in the last 10 years changed. Right, There's an oversupply of commercial um, for the demand because of the internet, because of e-commerce and the rest of it. Yet the planning laws didn't change. So what do developers do now? Developers for the last five years will actually pay anybody for the fit out. They'll pay for your cafe fit out, your restaurant fit out, and then they'll go an operator will just go in there. So what we've had for, for the last you know five to seven years is dilution of the marketplace, right? Every time a new cafe or restaurant opens, it dilutes the market. So there's an oversupply because it's too easy to get into business mm. because the planning laws hadn't changed. So had you taken out the supply of commercial space, you wouldn't see as many cafes or restaurants. It's, it's very simple. And when you explain like that, people get it and they go, holy geez, I never thought. Now, one of the most underused terminologies is waterfall is the cascading effect. Change the planning laws. You don't have an oversupply of cafes. You have more workers in the workplace. So what you've got at the moment is all cafe owners and no workers want to work, which then drives up the price of a worker, which then drives up the price of a coffee. And people go, hang on, wait, and I say, map it all out on paper and you'll now understand why $4.50 is cheap for a cup of coffee. Because a barista wants $30 an hour, not in peak times. Then when it's in peak times, it's $45 to $60 an hour. So $4.50 for a cup of coffee is very cheap. The ingredients of that coffee haven't changed in five years. Milk's the same price, coffee's the same price, cups are the same price. So let's just say someone wants to get into business and you're young. What should you do? What should you do? Should you go and actually work along someone like a Phil DeBella for five 100%, years? 100%. And that's and what people – well, 100%. People don't realize that the success of DeBella actually was that from 2000 uh, – 2000, where was it? Sorry, 1993. I finished school in 92. 1993, I worked in Brisbane's first cafe that roasted coffee in 93. And I stayed there to 2002. 
and I learned what not to do in business. That mm. was the best schooling. I worked for a person who was an absolute asshole. However, that asshole taught me, I wouldn't be who I am today because what he taught me was everything that I shouldn't be doing. Mm. He didn't look after his staff. He didn't look after his opportunities. He didn't capitalize on the opportunities. He wasted money. I learned everything of what not to do right there. But the business I started was in 2002. I spent nine years in a place learning what not to do. I'd spent nine years learning skills, how to roast coffee. I had to teach myself. No one taught me. I learned about coffee. I learned about business. I learned about marketing. I did a, a obviously a marketing a commerce degree, majored in marketing alongside of that. So I had all this learning and resource building. So then in 2002, nine years later, I started a company. People only see, you know, that picture where they say they only see the iceberg above yeah, the water, yeah, yeah. right? So they see Debella. Overnight success that's, that's right. been about 20 years. That's it, but they don't <laughs> see what was underneath. Yeah, they yeah. also don't see that I was scrubbing dishes at 14 years old in my brother's pizza shop, mm. and I was learning how to cook by the age of 15, and I was learning about portion control and costings of food at 16. Um, you know, all these core basic skills that a lot of people are forgetting that don't have right now because they don't need to work part-time or they don't work part-time at 14 or 15, then it delays what they're doing in business. So the short answer is the more resources you have, the less chance of going broke you have. So those resources for me started as young as 10 years old, being taught how to cut grass, wash the toilet, scrub the bath, Give you mop jobs. the floors. You do some metho on the floors here. You do this, you do that. All the, all the little core stuff at 14, scrubbing dishes, at 18, working in Brisbane's first cafe that roasted coffee. And at 26, I started my own company. And at 40, I, I sold it for an Australian record. Now, it's because I started at 10 years old. Mm. Now, a lot of people aren't starting at 20. Mm. So their success story might take till they're 50. All I'd just say is I've known you for a long time and a lot of people probably don't realise this is how genius you are uh, in terms of giving back to the community and, and a lot of stuff that you don't see. But So, Phil, to wrap it all up, COVID-19, you're a small business owner. You've given some wonderful tips. The top two tips that you would do right now as a business owner is exactly what you said in the first part, but also would you then look at you need to learn how to adapt quicker than what some businesses are at the moment just yeah. for survival. Well, you do. You need to, like I said, you have to map out your roles, responsibilities, and then your resources. That's tip number one. Tip number two is plan for the future. And part of planning for that future is sitting down and saying, what can I do better? I do that on a daily basis. I sit down, I talk about today better than yesterday, tomorrow better than today. So I have that innate, but I, I encourage people to what they should really take out of the current situation is take out resilience. And the resilience is all about mapping out now what you need to do in the future so that you plan better. So we don't always get everything right. I'm, I'm no perfect human, I can assure you. Um, I make mistakes, I make errors, but what I don't do is I don't repeat them two and three times because when a mistake happens, I sit down, I look at the data, I analyse it, and then I build the next strategy. And, you know, no matter how somebody's close to you or emotionally engaged you are with them um, and, you've, and you treat them as part of your family, if the business idea is not good, don't invest in it. If you don't have any sort of control in it, don't invest in it. So you know, I've been asked to invest in all sorts of stuff and I've set that rule. I will not invest in anything that I don't directly work in. Consistency is one thing and hard work is something that my father's taught me, but also at the same time, hard work doesn't necessarily mean that it will be success. I think altering your ego and you know aligning yourself with like-minded people, but at the moment with COVID-19, so many people are spending time on social media and they're surrounding themselves with so much negativity. I'm not remiss to think that, yes, it's happening around the world. I'm not sticking my head in the sand, yeah. but consistency is the key, correct? Yeah, yeah. Look, consistency of behaviour, um, I don't know if it's a key, but it's, it needs to happen. Uh, people need to make sure, uh, and I made this call about a month ago where I said I, uh, COVID-19 um, 
if handled right in Australia, uh, and then you know, and and nobody knows what right is until we know, you know, the get to the other end of this. But we might get away better than anyone in the world with the less deaths, for argument's sake. But that doesn't necessarily mean that it's been handled right. Because how many people are going to come out of this with depression? Mm. How many people are yes. going to lose their businesses? Yeah, yeah, how ma- what's mental health? Yeah. So what I say is I always talk about at what cost. You know, something that's where the word equilibrium comes from. Um, you know, there's a positive, there's a negative, there's a push, there's a pull. That's the way the world operates. So we might put the lid on COVID 19, you know, and there's a good chance, yeah, you isolate everybody, you, you do that. Yep, they've shown that if everyone, 90% of people go, the country goes into isolation, they've proven that this will be dead in three months. Okay. That, that's one great measure of success. But then what about the health issues? Because they're telling people, oh, you can't leave the house you know, to do this, you can't do this, you can't do that. Well, what about people that have got to stay mentally healthy, physically healthy, um, people that have got to put food on the table? So there is not going to be one answer that, that hits all. And I think that um, in Australia, we've had it so good for so long. And coming back to the consistency thing, if you look at Australia, we have consistently had it very good. What our positives have been is now what our negatives will show up. And the positives are that, you know, we've got a lot of people doing the thinking for us. Government tells us what to do. Don't cross the road or we'll find you and cross at zebra crossing and put a helmet on your bike. And now that's all good and well because it means that, oh, okay, well, government's very proactive. But what that's actually done is stop people thinking. Phil, I find I've been in business myself mm-hmm. and, you know, you've known me for a long time, for nearly 18 years now. Mm-hmm. The red tape that we have got going in this country yeah. particularly, do you think – we will get to the point where we've acknowledged that we've created too much red tape? Yeah, I don't – okay, to answer the last part of the question, acknowledge it, no, because we're not a country that will freely admit um, accountability. And one of the things I talk about a lot is accountability, and that's one of my strongest assets. If I stuff up, I tell people – the other day I put a post up and said, oh, government's not doing anything for um, for SMEs. And somebody corrected me and said, well, actually, no, here's a list. And I wrote back and I said, well, I retract that last statement because I didn't realise this. Um, and I checked it out. It was on the ABC website and checked it out. And I, went, and I actually wrote publicly, um, I retract my last statement about government because, yes, they are. I just didn't know about it. Now, that's somebody who's accountable. Now, government doesn't want to be accountable, and I'm going to use the best example to explain the last part, the first part of your question. In government, we've got too many layers, mm. and we've got too many people that are incompetent, sitting on the wrong seats, making decisions. And I'll give you an example. Two days ago, 48 hours ago, Scott Morrison announces that you can only sit in a hairdresser's chair for 30 minutes, um, to which I found quite funny and posted up on my social media, which went crazy. Who wants the other 28 minutes of my my time allocation? Because it takes two minutes to cut my to get my hair cut, right? And... Um, 24 hours later, that was scrapped. Now, it wasn't Scott Morrison sitting down with pen and paper and strategizing, we have to limit 30-minute you know, contact times for hairdressers. That was some imbecile oh, yeah, sitting totally in agree. a wrong seat of the bus in government creating red tape. Creating red tape thinking they know more, they know better, but no idea. And I bet you, and without being sexist, it would have been a male. A female would have known that you can't get your hair done in 30 minutes. Well, you could and, and I could. You know, well, I could, right. Now, <laughs> I could. do you see where we're coming oh, from? I totally agree. Now, this is a classic example to answer your question because I love talking in, in analogies and examples because it, it, then it shows the facts. Well, people relate to examples. Well, the person sat down that made up that stupid strategy – analysed the data completely wrong and had no idea. And that's what you get in government. And you don't just get that in government, you get that in business as well, right? But we're talking about government. That generates red tape, right? Red tape because it's giving somebody, somebody sitting in a bus, doesn't know what to do and just makes up crap, right? And 
bottom line is they're not practical. So they're not looking at it from the outside in. So now, you'd say there's a huge disconnect between the people that are making the decisions and the people on the ground. Disconnect. And um, another one is the MyGov website. I got told the other day um, to qualify for MyGov assistance, they want to know the, the size of your block, the size of your house, how many how many bedrooms in your house. Are we mad? Does it matter? No, it doesn't. In actual fact, the bigger your house and the bigger your land, the more rates you've got to pay, the more money you need. At a time like this, doesn't matter. Now, there's there's bureaucracy and red tape gone mad, right? Does it matter? The other loophole, it, you know, if you're – they're giving everybody, what is it, that, that qualifies $500 extra a fortnight, I believe. And this is – I've been told this by people that are going to apply. So I haven't looked at it myself because I won't be applying for government assistance, is – that if you're on the dole already and you get 500 um, uh, a fortnight, they're doubling it. You automatically get more. So the person who's contributed the most taxes doesn't get anything, and that's okay because it comes down to give it to who needs it. But the person who's contributed nothing is getting a double payment. I, I see the, the balance between the two, and hear me out just for a second. If you've got someone that's getting benefits – but then you've got a business that has been paying tax and they've been you know in business for some time and they've been keeping a control on their on their finances and ex- expenses there's options for you to take through the SME through the government to take that money and you can get that so if you're prepared to work hard continuously pay your taxes because I'm glad that we do have a robust banking system here. I agree. I'm glad everyone, you know, the banks get bashed left, right and centre. But they've done a good job, right? Correct. Right now, and everyone has to sit back and go, I'm glad. The yeah. government, okay, I believe that they've done a decent job. Federal government's done well, but they've, the banks have done amazing and local council here in Brisbane's done really well. Let me just give you a quick example from a mortgage sense. So three, four months ago, uh, we had a phone call from our guy from a ba- mainstream bank, which I won't ma- mention, and the credit analyst rang me and uh, we, one of my brokers here a loan for a guy who was 37. Now, he was separating from his wife and he was looking to refinance to pay his ex-wife out so she could go. Now, we were taking the loan up to 90% of value of a house, okay? So 90% value of, say, $500,000, obviously 90% of that. So he was 37. The guy from the bank rang the broker and myself and said, what's the guy's exit strategy leading up to 65, the guy's 37. Now, I have to give total respect to the guy who paid his rates, paid his mortgage on time, paid all his utilities on time. He didn't go the other way. He didn't go and, you know, off the rails. He, he, he remained um, honourable to the bank. So the guy rang and he goes, what's his exit strategy? By the time he reaches 35, he'll still have a mortgage. And I said, yeah, but he'll pay it off. No, but we want his exit strategy. We're going to have to reduce the term. Anyway, so I said to him, I said, mate, can you hear my voice? And he goes, yeah, yeah. I said, look, I don't mean to be rude, but I have um, cheeseburger and fries. He goes, what do you mean? I said, well, when you hear this voice at McDonald's, I hear it because you're doing yourself out of a job. I got a phone call by the head of credit at the bank saying you can't say that. My point is this. The guy was doing everything right. He just needed someone to give him help. And we were putting red tape in front of him to say, no, you can't have it because you're 65. The loan's going to go beyond 65. Now, retirement in 10 years' time will be completely different, not at 65. And more so now from this it COVID. It already is. They're, they're already pushing it back. You won't have retirement. But, you know, it's the red tape side of things. And I, you know, probably but it's somebody, it comes about. back to the point that I made. It's somebody that sat there 
and, you know, and that guy and might be a just, judgment. Well, mate, well, the guys, you know, he might just be the bearer of the bad news, but somebody above him has sat there and built this strategy and said, this is what we need. I had one the other day with the bank where they looked at the, um, and they go, we're updating your file. We want your projections for your new business. And I looked at her and I said, projections? You want me to give you projections when nobody knows when anyone's opening or reopening? And she looked at me and she goes, yeah, that was a really bad call, wasn't it? I said, oh, that's okay. You're just in automatic. You're in autopilot yeah. mode because that's what's asked from your superiors. You, I get that. Do you know, Phil, you mentioned before about I think we need to be more empathetic and more realistic with our expectations of others. You know, we, we, we're sitting behind a desk to make these decisions for these people who are doing it hard, working 12 hours a day, just trying to get ahead. Exactly. And the definition of ahead is actually trying to provide something for the next generation because that's what we all do it, right? But also at the same time, you've got someone else behind a desk that's going, no, I'm not going to do that for you. And yeah. you're like, well, that doesn't make sense. You're not. Yeah. We're not being empathetic. We're not trying to find a ways to make it happen. We're actually, and it goes back to Phil's comment just before about the responsibility. Everyone is too scared to make that decision because of the ramifications. Because yeah, there's no, there's no, no accountability. And can I tell you, I did some work with, um, I always do work with governments, but um, many, many years ago, local council, when I was on the board of Brisbane Marketing, um, and I was sitting there and everything was becoming no, because, no, because. And I turned around and said, wouldn't it be wonderful if we could adopt the attitude of yes, if? And everyone just stopped in the board table, just stopped and said, I like that. And I said, that's the attitude. You've just guys have given me an aha moment in my business and why Debella Coffee did so well. And they're looking at me, and these are really high-powered people who are on the board. And I said, Debella Coffee's done so well because we never say no. Everything is yes if. Even when clients say, will you give me a Ferrari? Yeah. If you buy one tonne of coffee a week at $50 a kilo, <laughs> I can buy a Ferrari and a Lamborghini. But if you're not prepared to buy high volumes at a high price, I can't buy you a Ferrari. But it was never no. And this was the attitude that I found um, when you say, and it comes back to that question you asked about the floods and the last time. And this is what's going to get people through right now is – if those that have got the yes, if attitude are the ones that are going to come out the other end. And people say to me, how do you know if somebody's got growth mindset? Because they have the yes, if attitude. It's not no, because. And we all know those people. You give them an idea, you sit down and you float an idea past them and they're going to tell you straight away why it's not going to happen. They won't even let you finish and they'll tell you why it's not going to happen. So, Phil, what would be your last tip if you've shut the doors and you're in retail and you've been forced at a restaurant, what would you be doing personally right now to utilise your time? Told you. I'd be looking at my finances and if I need to go and work, I'd be getting on the front foot and securing some work to get money in the door. And don't forget, you don't have to work for money. Work for food. That's what I'd be doing. Because remember, food and shelter are going to be the two most important things. If you're living in an apartment and you can't afford the rent, then you need to break the, the lease. Or you need to get people to come in and move in and you need to condense down and, and share accommodation. Or you need to move back home with parents. You do what you need to do. Survival is number one. And survival means your health, your mental health is number one. Mm. Because there's no use everyone coming out the other end of this. Saying she'll be right. Know, she'll be right. And then everyone's walking around with depression. Because as that's we know huge. in past, that's going to be the most important thing, yeah. right? This too shall pass. And I talk about it. This too shall pass. It will pass. It's a tunnel. Some tunnels are longer. Some tunnels are shorter. But get around the table. And everybody do what you can. If everybody does something, right, whether it's money, produce, donate time. Right? I know one lady who's driving around picking up groceries for older people. Right, so she's just picking up groceries and delivering it to older people. It's like we've gone back the way to that sense of community you mentioned yeah. before. We've, we, we've, I found, especially in the finance game, we've forgotten about people. 
it's just become a commodity. It's like, well, hold on a second. If we don't have the people, we don't have the business. Bingo. And that's your time to shine. Mm. And that's why you've done well, you know, Wilco, is that you've you've always made about people. And, and I know personally you've helped people that, that others would have turned their back on and you've gone and been able to organise stuff for them. This is the time that you will be rewarded for that. Remember this, guys. The, the people listening to this, at, fast forward six months, 12 months, two years, what you're doing now will depict whether you get rewarded down the track. And what I mean by rewarded is personally, professionally and family. And it's not, you know, rewarding is not for me, Phil. It's not necessarily money, right? Because your reputation is your wealth, right? Money's a resource. People forget that. And it's more or less along the lines of what money can actually provide the experiences that you actually hold really close to your hearts. It's not money. And at this point in time, you're talking about if you had a large bank account or if you had nothing, it's the people that you surround yourself with. Yeah, look, you know, and in closing from my point of view, I like looking situations to, to, to build the data and then analyse it. It was a few months ago where we were giving money away left, right and centre. Everybody was, even children were, for the, for the um, fires. Right? Yeah. Everyone was giving. You saw kids giving away their pocket money, all sorts of stuff. Right? Fast forward a few months and you saw people punching each other up over toilet paper in a shopping centre. Yeah, what does this tell us about the human race? You know? Yeah. And that's the stuff that we really need to think about, you know, is is why does that set off one set of behaviour and then the other one sets off another? And it comes down to survival. So, Phil, thanks very much, mate. Really, really appreciate it. Uh, again, uh, if anyone wants to get hold of Phil, you can get him on social media. Uh, he's one of the most generous guys I know and, and, and uh, a, a wealth of knowledge. So, no, thanks, thanks very much, me. mate. Thanks for having me. And also, obviously, jump on the flashcast. The flashcast by PDB is one of the reasons why I'm able to talk about about different ideas and that, that the public want from my perspective and they can tune in and listen to that 10 minutes or less I'll never speak longer for than 10 minutes so that I don't want to take too much of people's time so thanks for having me and good luck with everything and congratulations on everything you've been doing thanks mate appreciate it